For a message today, I invite you to Matthew chapter 5. Over the past months and maybe even years, I have spoken from the Beatitudes. And today, I will be focusing on verse 13 through 16 of this passage. And so we'll read these verses at this time. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The Beatitude verses that precede the salt and light verses here are all about Christian character. Whereas this section on salt and light are all about Christian influence. We learn from the Beatitudes that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who live out the characteristics of the Beatitudes. But we are still to live out our lives on this earth. And so in moving from the Beatitudes to the salt and light passage... Jesus turns from blessing to responsibility, from character to influence. And so I titled this message, Salty and Bright. The basic theme of this section of verses is simply, the Christian is meant to be different from the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The truth is, you cannot influence the world if you are the same as the world. You cannot change something unless you are different. And so our calling as Christians is to be people of influence, and we must be different from the world. And so here we have our Christian job description, and it has two parts. One is salt, and the other is light. And where do you fulfill your job? Right here on earth. Right here in the world. And so character must come before influence, because the greatest influence you have comes from who you are whether as a parent to your children or as a teacher to your students or as a boss to your employees or as a worker to your co-worker, who you are will have a far greater influence on others than anything else in your life. And so Jesus is calling us to be salt and light in the world. He's calling you and I to make a difference, an obvious Christian, 
with a redeeming influence in the world. So let's think first about this calling to be salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. As a follower of Jesus, this is who you are. Not what you should be, not what you will be, not what you can be if you want to. Jesus says, this is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. And if you are the salt of the earth, then it means that no one else is. And that's a sobering thought. Because if the church does not fulfill its function as salt, there is no backup plan. There are no salt substitutes. And so look around at each other here. We are it. You see, you are the salt of the earth and no one else. And notice the contrast in his statement between salt and the earth. The salt is set apart from the earth. If it was the same as the earth, it wouldn't have an influence on the, the earth. And salt and earth don't mix. You know, salt with earth mixed in is not good for salt. You wouldn't want to put salt on your eggs if it had a little bit of dirt in it. And the same way with earth. Earth with salt mixed in is not good for the earth. It does not grow, would not grow vegetables and plants and so forth. So once again, our calling is to be different from the world around us. Now, Jesus could have used any number of illustrations to tell us that Christians are different from the world. So why did he use salt? Well, there could be many reasons. But, you know, when we think of salt, we probably first think about seasoning food. You know, French fries, uh, lots of salt. But the primary use of salt for the people in Jesus' day was to stop decay. And if you think about it, that is or that was the primary use of salt all the way up to modern refrigeration. Salt was thought of as a substance to stop decay. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he is not only making a statement about you as a Christian, but also of the world around you. The world is in moral decay. And so how do Christians act? as salt in a world of moral decay. Well, I have three ways for us to consider here this morning, and neither these three are all fairly short points, and then we'll move right into light. But number one, salt cleanses. As Christians, we act as salt by living pure lives in the world. Salt is an antiseptic which cleans wounds and fights infection. Salt in a wound does not go unnoticed. And like that salt in a wound, 
when you live a pure life in the world, you will not go unnoticed. You will stand out from others as an obvious Christian. Salt in a wound hurts, even though it's cleansing, it is unpleasant. I knew a man years ago from my youth that would say, if salt would cost $10 an ounce, we would use it more. And he was big on using salt for healing and, and cleaning uh, wounds. And, and he thought it was, there was, oh, he was a big promoter of salt. But he said, it's too, it's too cheap, you see. But if it would cost more, we would use it more for medical things especially, was his point. But salt in a wound hurts, even though it's cleansing. It is unpleasant. And when you live a pure life in the world as a Christian, the world is not always comfortable with your witness. And that pure example may sting their conscience. And it's interesting, in the last beatitude, Jesus said that you will be persecuted. And now we see why. Because salt cleanses. Salt can convict. And we act as salt when we live pure lives in the world. So number one, salt cleanses. And number two, salt preserves. As Christians, we act as salt in the world when we stand up for what is right. Salt is a preservative that delays corruption and decay. And they say if you look into the earth and you would take the earth apart, you will see salt built in around the rocks and the soil. And that is for the purpose of filtering the water that runs down through the earth. And the world, they say, would not survive long at all without salt. And it is the same way for us as Christians. We are to be a preserving influence. We stand for truth. Salt preserves as we act as salt in the world when we stand up for what is right. Ephesians 4 or Ephesians 6:14 says, "Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. And so salt cleanses, salt preserves, and salt flavors. Number three, as Christians, we act as salt in the world when we attract people to Christ by our lives. Salt basically makes things taste better. It adds flavor. It adds spice. And so ask yourself, do I live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life? Am I full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Do I attract people to Christ by my life? And I believe without compromising the gospel message, we should do everything we can to make the gospel attractive to the world around us. Yes, the salt at times may sting in the wound, but we need to make sure it's the truth that stings and not our manner. Salt flavors, and we act as salt 
when we attract people to Christ by our lives. And now notice the following warning. When the salt loses its flavor or its saltiness, Jesus continues in verse 13 with a warning. But if the salt loses its flavor or its saltiness, if the salt loses its saltiness, it loses its purpose. And the whole purpose of salt is to act as salt. The whole purpose of the church is to act like the church. And I believe Jesus is talking here about compromise. When the church makes moral compromises to fit in with the world, it is no longer acting as salt in the world. You see, the world doesn't need the church to be more like the world. The world needs the church to be more like Jesus. And when the church acts like everyone else, it loses its reputation and it loses its mission. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Or how can it be made salty again? When the church loses its saltiness, it loses its reputation. And it's hard to get that back. I mean, we see that across our nation, even in conservative churches. When a church loses its reputation, it's so hard to get that back again. And I believe that's what Jesus means when he says, how can it be seasoned or made salty again? You know, many people are already convinced that the church is full of hypocrites and has nothing positive to offer the world. And so we do everything we can to hold up a good reputation for Christ and his bride in this world. Nelson Show Alder would say, we make Jesus look good. And then think too of our mission as a church. When the church loses its saltiness, it loses its mission. And I believe that's what Jesus means when he says, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Christians have a mission to bring the gospel to Christ and to all the world. It's been said, and I will quote, when you lose your saltiness, you lose your mission. And when you lose your mission, you lose the unique purpose that God has for you. When the church loses its mission, it is no longer good for anything. And so, as salty Christians, we need God's help and wisdom on applying the proper amount of salt. You know, when we salt our eggs, we just, just put a little bit on, you know? Well, how did we learn that? Well, it took time. We learned that through experience. If you're sitting at a table and a child, a young child, picks up a salt shaker, what does mama do? Watch it. Not too much. You see, they don't have that experience. And they, you know, they, they just don't know. 
And so it's going to take God's help. It's going to take God's wisdom and applying salt. You know, some situations in life call for lots of salt. My grandparents would have cured hams with, uh, or pork hams with salt. And that requires pouring it on, thick layer, you know. And so it is in life. Some situations may call for a light sprinkle of salt. Other times we may need to pour it on. And so we must ask God for wisdom. You are the salt of the earth, cleansing, preserving, adding flavor as Christians in the world. You know, think what this world would be like if there would be no Christians. Think what this world would be like if Jesus Christ had never came to this world. Let's think of the light of the world in 14 and 16. And maybe I'll read that again. You are the light of the world. Matthew 5:14. A city is set on a hill, cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Once again, notice that Jesus declares that this is something you already are. There is no other spiritual light in this world except the Christians, except the followers of Christ. There is no other light. If you are a Christian, then you are the light of the world, and you are to shine for Jesus. But we must keep in mind, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. And so Jesus is the true light of the world. And as followers of Christ, we reflect his light. Just like the moon has no light of its own, but reflects the light of the sun, in the same way we reflect Jesus' light to others. Jesus said, you can't hide this reflection. You can't hide a city on a hill, especially at night when all the lamps and all the lights are on. This past uh, Sunday afternoon, a week ago, uh, we flew over to Withville, um, Ivan and Jen and Beverly and I, we flew over to Whitfield to visit a small mission that's getting started in Whitfield, Virginia. And on the way back, we, it was dark and it, the night was very, very clear. The evening was very, very clear. And the cities could not be hid. It was so beautiful coming across from Whitfield to South Boston. You could see the cities way to the north and the cities way to the south. And, and I don't fly much, so, you know, of course, I was looking out the windows like newbies do. But uh, 
Anyhow, beautiful, beautiful flight. And I thought about this verse, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And you are the light of the world. Again, there is no other light. This is part of your job description as Christian, as a Christian. And so again, if Christians are the light of the world, then what is that saying about the world? What is the condition of the world? The salt analogy is that this world is in moral decay. The meaning of the light analogy is that the world is in darkness. When we think about the darkness of sin, we think of words like deception, ignorance, rebellion. In Acts 26, we have that account where Paul is sharing his conversion testimony before King Agrippa. And he shares with Agrippa the words that Jesus spoke to him on the Damascus road. And the words of Jesus, this is just part of them, but he's saying to Paul, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive or they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Darkness is the condition of the world. Blinded eyes, floundering on a path far away from God. The world not only the world not only doesn't know the way to God, it also doesn't know God's ways. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And God's word shines as a light. It removes the darkness and shows us the right way to go, the right way to live. Like those words of Jesus to Paul, to turn them from darkness to light. When I think of going the wrong way, the wrong direction, I think of a story that happened years ago when I was just a young person. I had two friends who were traveling from Georgia to Virginia. Now, keep that in mind. And they're traveling in about South Carolina somewhere. They're hungry, and it's time to stop and get something to eat. And so they did. And so they ate their food, and they got back on the interstate and set the cruise. And sometime later, they see a sign, and it says, Welcome to Georgia. You see, they thought they were on the right path. They thought they were on the right road, but they weren't paying attention to the signs. And that's our world. The world doesn't know or follow God's word. It don't have that direction. It doesn't know the way to God. 
It doesn't know God's ways. Blinded eyes. That's the condition of our world. So how do Christians act as a light in the world? Again, I have three ways to consider. And the first way is light shines. In other words, we stand out as followers of Jesus, like the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. There should be something different about your manner, different about your countenance, different about your life that makes you stand out as a follower of Jesus. Let your light shine. Let it shine before all men. Let them see good works. And then let them glorify the Lord. Light shines. Therefore, we are to stand out as followers of Jesus. And then secondly, light illuminates. Our illumination of the glorious light points people to God and his ways. Our light is a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Jesus is the true light. Our reflection of that light will point people to him. You see, there is no illumination for anyone when our light is under a container. People see Jesus when our light is visible on a lampstand. And if people cannot see Christ in Christians, they will certainly not find him in the world. I thought about a verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you know, I'm just thinking here now, you know, one of the most, one of the best testimonies that we can share with people, people that we live with, people that we meet, people that we work with, is the fact that we too were once in darkness, you see. And then finally, thirdly, light reveals. Light will show to the world a better way. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as a child of light. What would such a walk include? I thought about 1 Timothy 4.12. It says... Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Christians act as a light in the world as they faithfully shine, as they faithfully illuminate, and faithfully reveal. And you know, we could sum up these three words, these three ways that light shines with the word witness. 
And I was thinking about the word witness this morning, and I thought about two verses in Philippians chapter 2, 15 and 16, that say that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I like the encouragement in verse 16. When your light shines brightly. You know, the salt passage ended with a warning about salt losing its saltiness. But the light section ends with an encouragement about what happens when your light shines brightly. The last part of verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men. You know, this is only the second command so far in the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe the first one was to rejoice when persecuted. But this is the second one. And notice what will happen when your light shines brightly. We have two things. First of all, people will see your good works or deeds. And it's interesting, the word good in this verse means attractive or pleasing rather than good in the moral sense. Now, of course, our deeds should be moral as well. We would know that. But the emphasis here is on works that help other people, that present the Christian life as attractive and pleasing to others. When your light shines, people will see your good deeds. You know, we can say a lot of good things. And we should say good things. I'm not knocking that. But at the end of the day, what gets people's attention is what we really do. My dad had this thing he would do. And all I, it was always so embarrassing, but you know how dads can be. But he would go into a restaurant, especially a fast food restaurant. He'd walk up to the counter, and he'd say to the lady, I want that meal right up there on that picture. And I'll, I'm, I'll pay, you know, don't matter what it costs, but I want my meal to look just like that picture. Of course, she'd have to turn around, and there'd be this big deal of exactly which one he's looking at. But they get that all figured out. That's what I wanted to look like, and I don't care what it cost. Well, you know, in fast food, the picture is as good as it gets. <laughs> but Dad liked to make a point with that, and so they would start bringing his food out. And I remember one time he ordered some kind of a little seafood platter thing. And they bring it out. He said, now, there's only two hush puppies on my plate. The picture has three. 
Okay, so they went back, got enough hush puppy. He's there counting the shrimp. Want enough shrimp, had to get more shrimp. The french fries on the picture were spilling out over the plate. Well, it was just a little pile, one near enough. The meal I paid for looks like that. And I was like, Dad, come on. But Dad had a point. And his point was the finished product of our lives should match the advertisement of our lips. There's probably more than one way to go about that, but that was Dad's thing. But you know, I had a similar experience like that. I didn't make a big ordeal over it except I did post some pictures, but um, Hardy's some time ago had two roast beef sandwiches for like $4. And on the picture, you know, that they had out on the, the window that you could see walking up, the roast beef looked like that thick. I mean, it, oh, it looked good. I'm not sure who was with me. Was it Jamie, Carl? One of us thought we needed a snack. So we went in there, and, and when we opened them up, you could not see the meat between the buns. It, it was just basically two buns. We opened them up. There's a little bit there in the center. It's good dead one there. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. The second thing that will happen in verse 16, people will praise your Father in heaven. And this is a sobering thought. And I believe this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that God is called our Father. Now, good works don't make you a Christian. We know that. But they do show that you are a Christian. Have you ever thought about that? Let me say that again. Good works don't make you a Christian, but they do show that you are a Christian. And so when, God light, when God's light shines through you, people will see him in you. And then here's the sobering thought, is when people recognize you as God's children, they will praise God as your father. And so in your daily personal witness, and I say first to you, and, or I say first to myself and then to you, but in your daily personal witness, as you walk your walk, are you showing the gentle father side of God? Are you showing mercy, grace, and love? Or is your life and testimony the side of God that is justice, judgment, vengeance? What do people see? It will make a difference on who they glorify. We said as salty Christians, we will need God's help and wisdom for applying salt. 
And I believe it's the same way with light. You know, some life situations may call for a soft, warm glow. And other times we may need to turn up the wattage. But whatever light is needed, it must always be a reflection of the true light of the world. And so, in conclusion, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. That is your role in the world, but you only fulfill your role as your salt remains salty and you let your light shine. Are you a obvious Christian? Are you exercising a Christian influence in the world around you? That is what God has called us to do. The world needs your Christian witness, so go and be salty and let your light shine. You know, I thought maybe I should have had a Thanksgiving sermon today, but I didn't feel led to do that. But I do want to close with Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And maybe you can make a connection between salty and bright and Thanksgiving this morning. I hope you can. But we will talk more about Thanksgiving this evening. So, uh, but I like to read these verses in closing as we think about being salty and bright and also as we think of moving into this Thanksgiving season. Take these verses with you and let them bless you as you leave here today. But just good practical encouragement to us who are called of God to be a witness in this world. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We'll call for a closing song. Okay, this little light of mine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This